Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in body work, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. We are grateful to be in conversation with Judith Aston. Judith is widely recognized as a pioneer in the art and science of kinetics for her discovery of the Aston paradigm. Her distinct biomechanical model for the human body is based on a unique way of seeing the body in relationship to the earth. Her discoveries about the importance of using the forces of gravity and ground reaction in alternating sequences has transformed many systems of exercise, body work, and movement education. Her acute ability to see the body in stillness and in motion, and to train others to see, established her discipline of body work and movement training. In today's conversation, we talk about her inspiration, Judith's lifetime dedication to creativity and problem-solving, some stories of her Esalen Somatic Gang, Judith's way of seeing, a short movement experiential, functional holding patterns, working with children, the upcoming Aston World Movement, her new book, and how one could study with her. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hi, Andrew. Hi. It's so nice to meet you through the computer. Great. Absolutely great. We are super excited to talk to you for, for numerous reasons, just because you're you, but also because you're, you know, a legend in the movement world. Do you see yourself as a legend? I was just trying to hear that word and feel it. I don't even know what that means. Does that mean just longevity? What does that mean? Oh, I wouldn't say longevity at all. I think someone can be a legend without having just come in and do it. So I, I don't associate the two together, although there, there can be an overlap. No, I think um, I think for sure a legend um, and not for longevity. I'm personally, in, I, of course, I know you from being a Rolfer and going to the Rolf Institute. And also I'm a Rolf movement practitioner. And um, and now I am doing a somatic movement training, and there's this whole section called Somatic Way. And it's, of course, talking about the history of the work of somatic awareness and movement, and then there's the pioneers, and you are one of the pioneers. Oh, fun. And one of my assignments is to pick three people to um of all the options of somatic pioneers and leaders to write a a little something so i'm excited because you're one of my people oh my goodness (laughs) i almost feel like i get to just submit the podcast to my teacher (laughs) yeah i hope you get a good grade that would be terrible yeah well i'm really (laughs) excited about this conversation and and you know i've also followed a lot of your videos and watched things that you've you've done. And so I feel like I've, I've learned quite a bit, but I still have so many questions. Good. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for the welcoming. Yeah. We want to respect you and your time here. So we don't want to go over a lot of the stuff you've talked to. And so we can give references for people that 
to get into your history because it's a great story. But we, you have other things to talk about, and we would rather share that sort of stuff. So I guess going with the legends thing or pioneers would be who have been some of your mentors or, or inspirations uh, or people that you draw inspiration from, if anyone? No, it's a very interesting question because I was thinking about your first question that you um, mentioned in terms of, you know, new directions and creating things. For me, this started when I was really, really young. And I was just telling Courtney, <clears throat> my mother would, uh, she would say, okay, we're going to have extra people for Thanksgiving. And so we need to make more pies and more vegetables. <laughs> and she would hand me this half bushel of apples and say, peel them, you know, and it's like, all of them? You want me to peel all of them? And it's like, I would time myself doing one and try to speed up and so on and so forth and found out that apples have a grain. And if you cut with the grain, you go faster. So that's a big epiphany for me that has everything to do with the way I teach body work. So another one, you know, I mean, it would be green beans, whatever. Um, so I always, uh, I tried to open something, uh, I tried to open a jar yesterday and it just was too tight. And I go, oh, I know how to do this. And I took a rubber band and put it over the lid and just started going. And of course the friction helped. It's like, I don't know why I was born with this incessant <laughs> interest in problem solving. So that's what has been my most, my major guide other than uh, a very wonderful teacher in my high school, Marty Walker, who, who um, just inspired me in every, every way because uh, she said so. She took care of all the blind students, and this is just a brief re review, but she took care of all the blind students for all their studies. And she had me work with her, and I learned a little Braille and so on and so forth. And she'd say, so what are you going to do when you grow up? And I said, well, I, I want to be a flight attendant. And she said, why? And I said, I want to travel the world. And she said, well, you could do that. You should be a teacher. You have the skill to teach and you have the math to understand engineering. You should be a lady engineer. You should be an engineer. And just to show you where I was in that age, I had no idea there were lady engineers in 56, 57. It would not have occurred to me. And she just you know, encourage my problem solving and my math skills. And, and that's where I kind of took off. I applied it to everything. I'm sure that I was a big pain to some people because if they hired me for a job, I'd say, you know, we could do this faster if we did this. And the, the boss would like it and the employees would not. Do you know what I mean? Things like that. So between those attention pieces and the fact that I met Dr. Roth. <laughs> you know, I knew nothing about body work. I don't even know if I had had a massage. All I knew I was in a lot of pain and the person that I was teaching movement for said I heard about Dr. Ida Roth. So I did go to her and at the end of the first session, she said, can you create a movement program for my work? And I said, sure. You know, not knowing what that would entail. And she said, well, you'll have to be in training in six weeks, for six weeks. It was like, 
what? So I learned about the body work. She trained me in body work. Um, she was really hesitant because of my size. Um, so that's where I had to get really creative to figure out how can I work with this large man in a way that I can get deeply and superficially and do the blending, the kind of organization that needs to be done. And that's where a whole bunch of the techniques came from. So people inspire me. Everyone inspires me. You know, I'm listening to Moshe Feldenkrais talk. I'm listening to Thomas Hanna. I'm listening to people maybe talk even briefly. And it's like, oh, I just love what they're doing. That's great. People inspire me. Clients inspire me. <laughs> so I'm never short on things to work on. Hmm. And and I wasn't even thinking, but at that point in Esalen, when, you know, Thomas Hanna, Moshe Feldenkrais. Fritz Krauss. Yeah, it's Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen was coming and going there at that time, too. I know she was around the area. And yes. then, yeah, and I don't know, was Emily Conrad there? Yeah, we, yeah. we were a gang, actually. Uh, Don Johnson invited Emily and me and Charlotte Selver and um, Robert Hall and so on. And we were um, a group of professional people in this somatic field that did different projects. Like um, one was Body and Spirituality with a Ford Foundation grant, I think. And all of us were involved with that. We hung out together a lot at Esalen. And then a few years ago, Bonnie and Emily and I did a three-day seminar. I think that was the last time I saw Gail um, in, uh, at uh, JFK Kennedy um, University or something. And that was before Emily got sick. Um, Bonnie and I and Don Johnson are all still pretty um, much in touch with each other kind of regularly. So, uh, but we haven't done any groups together. Of course, we, none of us have done groups, so. And what are those conversations like? Yeah, the same. I mean, I'm just listening to you, just thinking, wow, that I know for you, this is no no thing, but this is, I mean, for a lot of us, that this is history, this is historic, this is like, this is the guts, this is the good stuff. <laughs> well, and at Esalen, a lot of it was at Esalen. Well, I mean, we traveled to different places uh, and we would connect on the East Coast or et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah. Well, it's just that as now, all of us have our own perspective and gifts from our work and the beauty of sharing them and working in cooperation and simultaneously with people for a goal or a project or an experience um, is very satisfying, enlightening, satisfying, and feeling, um, you know, you've got your, your gang. And whether you feel it or not, you are part of that, that gang is some of the people who really revolutionized what body work, somatics, whatever the category you want to call it of movement, body, mind, spirituality, all of that. If someone said to me, who are the, the most influential people for me, for that, you, Bonnie, and Don Anlin Johnson would be definitely in the top 
five. I mean, if not the top three, for sure. And just thinking about the three of you together is already making me like, I'm <laughs> blown. I am, one of my other things is I am an Esalen massage practitioner. And so there's a lot of stories and rumors of the old days and just so much amazing things came out of there. Yeah, indeed. Oh my goodness. Uh, um, oh golly. Yeah, many, many, many stories. But anyway, yeah. And Don was the person who would follow up with the grants and do all, the, all of that kind of um, essential work to be able to invite us to come and join wherever it was that we were working. Um, it was very interesting, the one we did for body and spirituality. You know, we had the Muslim, uh, the Catholic priest, we had several nuns, we had the this, you know, we had the whole room was just filled with so many different areas of focusing on religion. And it was our job to provide movement and experiences and perhaps different ideas about how to integrate differences. Like, to me, I define balance as the moment-to-moment -moment negotiation of asymmetrical differences. So between your right leg and your left leg, or two people having an argument, or two people from different viewpoints trying to integrate. It's like there's a way of creating a balance by honoring the differences and integrating them. Judith, that's really, in previous uh, interviews that I've heard or seen you in, you've talked a lot about your innate ability to see and to, and to embody patterns. And I'm curious, to learn a little bit more of where do you go in your, your mind, your body to tap into the inspiration to create a dance or a movement or something that's driven for these specific genres or create creative dances that you, that you did in the earlier days and, and if you're still doing that now. But I'm definitely curious of where is the, 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 the space in your body or in your mind that draws your, your inspiration? The interesting thing was when I was five, I evidently annoyed family members and other people we lived with, like um, someone who kind of adopted us as an auntie <laughs> by dancing all the time. You know, like she's driving us crazy when she gets home from school. <laughs> Do something with this girl. So my mother, who was working, uh, working a lot, uh, uh, decided, okay, I can afford. I'm going to pay some for some dance lessons. And it was only like two blocks away. The dance studio was only two blocks away. So I could go and I could do. And I learned everything from some ballet and toe and, and tarantella and tap. <laughs> and gypsy, I mean, whatever. Um, um, that was the type of uh, dance uh, studio that I attended. But I loved to dance. And that combined with this innate ability to quickly watch someone and quickly duplicate their movement, you know, at five, at six, you know, I could just, someone would walk in and I could walk behind them and just 
do their pattern. I do not know why, but it ha has come into the fact that when I started teaching for Dr. Rolf and the Rolfers, um, the interns would come back and hang out with me in the wall, you know, and I don't know if you remember your auditing, but you know, you, I tried to be as far away as I could and as subtle as I could and not be called up to be the person that they were going to dissect at the moment. So I'm as close to the wall as I can be. And someone would come back and they'd say, what do you see? Quick, quick, what do you see? And I'd say, shoulders high on the right, pelvis low on the left. And they'd go back and they'd say, I, I see the discrepancy between, she'd go, oh, that's very good, very good. What are the muscles that cause that? Well, I don't know the muscles that cause that, but it started this whole thing. And she said, teach my practitioners how to see body patterns. So the combination of seeing body patterns, Nikki, and this interest in movement, when someone is in front of me and I see their pattern with this asymmetry going down on the right, up on the left, down on the right, up on the left, it creates this spiral, but it also creates a lot of sheer force in a way that isn't the best for that person. And so I would start to play with, what if you took a shorter stride on the right, meaning you're gonna get there sooner, Instead of the long stride, it's going to land and you're going to go down in your body because the leg is a little bit shorter. Anyway, it's just starting to play with what the person shows first and what their dance could be, how it could be smoothed out, how it could honor who they are in their persona expression. And that has a lot to do with how and what gets created. Does that help a little bit in terms of that progression? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I was just curious if there is this felt sense. So I, through various interviews that you've definitely have talked into on how seeing and that that is this, your tool yeah. that you're well resourced with. And um, I'm just, again, kind of prodding a little bit more if there's somewhere else, because I, I'm not a dancer. I mean, I enjoy dancing, but I'm not in, I've never done any kind of training in dance. But when I often hear from people who are in more of the dance world and teach it and choreograph, they often talk of this, this creative space in their, in their selves. And um, so I'm just curious if there's some, something like that that has motivated you or brought insight to your work? Very much so. Very, very much so. I mean, high, high on the list is creativity uh, and problem solving. Those, those two things, creativity and problem solving. And so, for example, when I was working with all the Rolfers and, um, and uh, by the way, I, I, I realized that I need to... Um, Make it clear, I never trained people in rolfing body work. I was not a person trained to teach people body work. I did teach people body mechanics to do the work, yes, uh, in the beginning. Um, so in terms of creating, it's like in terms of the, um, for example, let's see here. 
while you're sitting, just as you're sitting right now, will you take both heels of your hands and just simply press the heels of the hands right down into your thigh. Press them down. And if I say push harder, feel what that's like. Okay. And now pause. Take your left heel of your hand, lean your center of gravity a little bit to your left and push down by leaning your trunk. There you go. Keep that pressure. Right hand, lean forward, press. And now push off your feet a little bit and feel how you increased your depth. Okay, did you feel that? Now go back, just place both hands at the same time and push down and feel the difference. You might feel your abs contract, you might feel, but you didn't get into the tissue that deeply. So for example, when people use both sides of their body simultaneously, something goes on hold, there's a compromise. If you always set up right foot, right hand, left foot, left hand, then the two sides negotiate through their asymmetries for more power. So that aha created a whole form of body mechanics that I teach, for example, or how to do fitness or how to play golf. <laughs> Don't just set up, do one end and then the other, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of the creative energy for when people come in, they bring this beautiful dances of wanting to, uh, wanting to improve their tennis game, their golf game. They work with young children and they play with them while sitting on the floor. They bring in the specs and I see what they do. I ask questions, I feel them or I go to the classroom and watch them. And suddenly these whole things get created from seeing, feeling, sensing, and problem solving. So this elusive creativity in a way seems to be the way we connect and put in more information in order to get to some kind of progressed ending, whether it's called a dance or it's called a new, you know, like for me, there were so many people that yes, when you were when you could feel them on the table, you could feel all the tight places, but you could also feel all the loose places. And when they would stand, I'd see them side bend into a side that had low tone. And I'd go, hmm, I really think we should start with toning first. We should tone up that side that doesn't have the strength to hold its own and repalpate. And sure enough, many of the places that were tight and overly tight lessen their tension because this area was doing its job. So this creativity, the spark, the interest, when I used to create dance, dance events, dance happenings, all kinds of things, it's kind of a similar feel. It's a similar feel. So it sounds like that chore that you had to do when you were a child peeling the apples your mom gave you a great insight on what you'd be doing in your life, finding the, the grain. People's there you are. And I'd be timing myself. That apple took less time. Da, da, da. So, 
Awesome. Yes. I'm hearing, I don't know when exactly my learning practice, but at some point I, I remember when I was going through, I, I had done body work for years before, but going through the Rolfing training, at some point it became, I, I sort of picked up if I could walk like the client, it was at first more to show them how they were walking, but I kind of picked up that I could then feel more or less what their body was and wasn't doing. And it, it became such a great tool for how to connect and then how to grow, how to see the change that needs. Absolutely. Um, and many people do not know how they walk. So when I would help students learn that, how to walk along the side and get the, the pacing, get the asymmetry of the rhythm and the timing, get them, you know, and then watch them and then watch them from the back and see how they internally rotate the leg and so on. And you see, you see, oh, that might be causing the hip problem right there or the knee problem because of the way they, they always cross over the midline on the right side because they're standing like this and this is how the, they would balance. So you can't just say, don't do that because they would fall, for example, or could, or say it's too strenuous, but it's a wonderful assessment tool. And many times I just record that. I draw people's attention to it, Andrew, by, can you feel how your weight bearing goes from your heel on the left to the outside of your foot? And the weight on your right foot goes from the heel to the inside of your foot to your big toe, because they are pronating on the right and supinating on the left. Can you feel that? So you're bringing in the sensory awareness that a lot of people don't have. And it begins to train them to become more body conscious and give better feedback to us. But also the education of, often when that happens, people say, wow, that's really interesting. I had a terrible ankle sprain on my left foot and the doctor said it was all recovered, but that must be it. It must be it. And sure enough, your right foot has just been accommodating all these years. How about we change that? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how much you know in general what's happening in sort of the, the body work movement worlds. But, you know, for us, Nikki and I being rolfers and, and with COVID not being able to, not being comfortable to work with people from all this sort of things and going on to an online world you know, doing movement sessions with people via Zoom and whatnot, starting to work with those movement patterns and, and seeing people and sharing them back and mirroring and giving ideas of new ways of movement in some ways is just as profound, if not more profound than the tissue work. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's like, and there's a lot of change happening in that world right now. Yeah. So I came up with um, these terms. I have a whole thing I call... <clears throat> identifying the holding patterns. And there are, two, I make uh, two categories, functional holding patterns and structural holding patterns. Functional holding patterns can be started by someone surprising you, that you don't expect someone coming behind you. And you oh my goodness, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't feel you coming up behind me. And some people can let go right away and continue their meal in the restaurant. <laughs> I mean, if we are at a restaurant, but anyway, they can continue their meal and other people, that startle reflex is gonna last around. And the person may have that all the time. 
That is their MO. They have a startle reflex happening and it accumulates. And so from a simple little moment, it begins to add. And um, so let's see, you're looking at me this way. So on this side is a, a one. And over here, we have a 20, for example. That moment would be a one and maybe go back to a zero. But let's just say that the meeting of during that lunch was more stressful. And then you had a mild but still car accident, a little bit of bump, uh, what do they call them? Bumper bender or something. Anyway, um, and it accumulates. It starts going up to the scale where it isn't something that you can let go easily through movement or thought form or meditation. It's in the tissue. The tissue gets adhered by the duration of time that it takes to have these tissues that used to slide adhere. And so it's almost like the beginnings of a self-created scar tissue from an event. Generally, functional holding patterns can easily change in movement and structural patterns. Again, holding patterns can change easily with body work, but movement over time can really accumulate and neutralize a whole bunch of functional holding patterns. So the duration that people uh, spend focused on themselves, on how this movement will loosen my shoulder girdle and let me own the inside of that shoulder girdle, whereas I'm always working at the computer with my shoulders up because I have to get my head forward to see the screen. I don't want to get glass, <laughs> whatever all of the things we, we do to ourselves. But the point is, um, when you gift someone with these ideas of how to take care of themselves. So I have a, many programs to do with self-care and I've created movements to loosen holding patterns. It's a very technical term. It's called loosening. It's called toning. It's called stretching. It's called cardiovascular. It's called facial fitness. It's called, I have a whole bunch of fitness forms for this very reason to help people understand how to help themselves. I think that actually, that leads in really well to where I was wanting to go, which is what you said, you touched on earlier, which is sort of about, so after leaving from the Rolf Institute and going on your own way, you've done so much since then, what inspired you to go into this directions of, of these programs and of the ergonomics and how did that sort of all progress? I'm intrigued about the fact that because these same problem-solving skills, math and creativity <laughs> have just been with me for so long, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't um, afraid. I didn't want to be in the way of uh, changing Dr. Rolf's biomechanical model any more than I had done a little bit here and a little bit there. And, you know, please don't, don't have the feet so close together. It's narrower than the hip joint. And please allow your feet to turn out a little bit at the ball of the foot so the heel can support the lesser trochanter and the ischial tuberosity and the ball of the foot can support the, and the ball of the foot can support the hip joint. And, you know, I mean, I started to do things like that. And then as I realized, oh, I, I, I don't want to keep 
I don't want to create uh, stress. So I just um, started teaching this more and more and people came for working with them, doing their work. Uh, and, you know, for example, one of, one of the really simple things, um, if you lie on a mat or a massage table with your whole body, including your feet on the table, you are letting the tibial plateau fall posteriorly because of the calcaneus. If you slide only far enough for the calcaneus to be off the table, you're reading the leg as it really is, not hyperextended because of the heel raising and therefore the tibial plateau falling back. So things like that. I wasn't having to sell things to people. I was saying, please try this. And they go, oh my goodness, that changes everything. That totally changed the palpation. I said, I know because we've been creating the tension by the way we set someone out and they're paying us to work it out. That's, that's kind of a, that's quite a gig. How about we find what's really the person's pattern and work on that? So I guess I, I meant a little bit more like when you've gone, now you've, you're sort of, you've had this one thing, now you're separating, you're moving forward. And since you move forward, you had done so many programs, you've developed things. How did that transition sort of go for you? Like, how did you decide, okay, well, now, um, you know, I don't want to do that stress anymore. And now I'm, I'm going to create functional fitness or facial fitness, or you know, was that just a, a sort of sounds like a little bit, everything just kind of works out in this beautiful way of the universe, starting with apples growing into this path. I think there's a lot more hard effort involved, but what was that? What was that like? What, what drove you in that? Or well, well, for example, the piece with the facial fitness, I mean, um, when I train in massage, when Dr. Rolf said, no, no, you'll never make it in the field. I'm not going to train you. You're too small. And I went, well, I think you're wrong. <laughs> this is in April. No, this is in June or July 1968. I think you're wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, and so I'll be back anyway. Um, and I immediately on the way driving from Big Sur to where I lived in Long Beach, I stopped off at a massage school and enrolled. Okay. So to me, that's just kind of my <laughs> And so they said, oh, my goodness, you've been teaching in a college for five years? And I said, yes. They said, would you like to be one of our teachers? I said, you mean while well, I'm learning? <laughs> seems like you know how to teach. And I said, uh, oh, okay. Um, and so the Rolfers then were able to use me to get their massage, their massage work and get signed off on their numbers of sessions they needed and all those kind of prerequisites, which was uh, good. Um, but anyway... I gained 10 pounds and I found out that Dr. Rolf was going to be in LA <clears throat> in October. The training started in February. And so I walked in in my best Rolf line like this and the elbows out and so ass moving. And I, I did my walk with my check, full check, full payment for the program. And I walked right, I knew she was going to be there. I asked, could I just stop by for a quick moment? I walked in, had the check in my hand. I got to her. Dr. Rowe had the most wonderful laugh. Oh, my goodness. I hope someone's recorded it. Wonderful, wonderful laugh. She burst out laughing. She took the check, 
I kept walking and she laughed and laughed and she said, okay, 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 I'll train you. And I said, okay. So you create the moments and this woman, one of my students lost her mother unexpectedly. And I said, gee, massage school taught me lymphatic drainage. It taught me massage. I know how to do toning. I've, I've figured that out, blah, blah, blah. So I put together this whole facial fitness program and I watched her reclaim herself not unlike what we all do with our sessions. So to me, the client comes in and says, I race cars, it's starting to really kill my back. I say, can I look at your car seat? I do, and I say, you know, the fact that you're sitting in a slump may lower the, the um, ricochet, but the point is it's eating up the health of your back. <laughs> How about this? So I started cutting duct tape and foam and slapping them on people's upholstery <laughs> until this one guy said, he said, why are you taking scissors, duct tape and foam out to my car with me? And I said, oh, I'm going to make you a seat. He said, no, you will not be making a seat on my new Jaguar. And I said, oh, okay. He said, I will send my upholsterer to you. <laughs> I said, wow, send me in a poster. Okay, good. So I started making the products. So everything was a problem to be solved. I love those, you know, and I love those. I mean, it's like I've always been interested. Well, I always do it this way. What if I did it this way? Oh, it's, oh, it's smoother. It's easier. Wow. Okay. So... People started calling me saying, would you train me in movement? Would you train me in exercise? Would you train me to do my body work so I'm not going to age so quickly? And that created one class after another, after another, after another, because I was problem solving to the interests. So it sounds like uh, consumer driven, really meeting the needs of the population that you're in. The population, including every individual. Yeah. So they say, could you come talk to my class? You know, could you, could you come to um, our church and come to our meditation groups and help people learn how to let their body let go? And I, sure. How do you see us that you've been in this movement creative world for quite some time? And, you know, definitely coming from Esalen and the human movement potential realm. Yeah. And, of course, I wasn't alive at that time. So what I've read in my assumption is during that time, a lot of moving, wanting to move with ease was possibly driven more for a spiritual need, more of a, a need for bettering themselves, where I think that still exists to this day, but now through decades later and the way technology has evolved, there's kind of this need to kind of lifestyle occupational hazard that we're all in with our technology. So I'm curious from, from your point of view of seeing bodies move and the needs that people need to find ease, what, what, do, you, what do you have to say about how we're evolving? in in this modern world and how people and also how from 
from you know the Esalen days to now, how are people responding to to trying on new movement patterns? I think it's an interesting time. I don't think that people have stopped self-judgment in these times. I think people are still criticizing themselves for many different aspects of how their body looks, how it functions, how they're aging. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, I think there's a lot of that. I think the world of technology takes person into zooming in, so to speak. So the outsides come in, the top and the bottom come closer, and everything is kind of contained in a screen or in a, you know, a square. Um, and what it does is it, one of the things I notice is that very few people have a sense of the back half of their body. They just don't. They look in the mirror, they look in the, they put on makeup, they look in the uh, bathroom uh, mirror, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. I agree if with they that. see themselves, they often are like, oh, well, see, I would never wear shorts because, or I'd never go in a bathing suit or whatever it is. This whole body consciousness that we were in, in the 60s, 70s, into the 80s, I would say, um, but just as an aside, also at that time, there were a lot of movement disciplines that had a lot of rules. So for me, I've always been interested to have people learn how to problem solve and to evaluate for themselves and decide what they want to do, not to follow what I say necessarily, but to utilize it as a tool instead of you've got to have the sky hook, you've got to have your waistline back, you've got to have the elbows pointing, you've got to have the feet straight ahead. When people put these kind of constrictions on their body, um, it only confirms this not being okay kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Um, totally. Like tell, telling a child not to slump is not going to correct it. Can I tell you a story about my wonderful experience with a child and their slump? would love to hear that story. So this woman brought her seven-year-old son to me and she said his legs turn in and he's always tripping himself on his feet getting caught and when he runs for the school bus the kids laugh at him and then when he gets on because he trips and falls and the kids laugh at him and then they tease him on the bus and I said oh no <laughs> no it's not good so he came in and I started with him uh and I said, you know, I have never seen a shirt. Oh, we were sitting in front of the mirror. I didn't want to face him. We're both sitting in front of a big mirror I had. So he's sitting on his seat height. I'm sitting on my seat height. We're looking in the mirror. And I said, wow, your t-shirt. I have never seen a shirt with the zero, zero. I've never seen a no number before, so to speak. And he went, it's not zero, zero, it's 88. What's the matter with you? Okay. And I said, oh, let that go again. Go back to zero, zero. Look in the mirror. See the zero, zero? He goes, yeah. 
I said, okay, so now just roll your pelvis forward like this. Now I'm looking at him. Now go ahead and push on your feet and push on your pelvis. Let your chest come up. Oh, yeah, look at the ceiling a little bit. Now look in the mirror. He goes, oh, it's zero, zero. I said, I know. Now make it 88. So I taught him my arcing exercise by going from zero, zero to 88 and so on and so forth. Okay. We had a very successful session. By the time he stood up, his legs were able to externally rotate, which meant, yes, he had some uh, eversion, but not the kind that would trip him. So I worked with gait and I worked with running and so on and so forth. Okay. So his mother brought the five-year-old in. I said, good, I, wanna, I just want to summarize all of this so you can follow up. And so the seven-year-old decides to give the five-year-old the lesson. And he's over there, and I'm just ecstatic. I said, I can't believe what's happening. He's teaching. I want to teach seven-year-olds to do to do this work. I just think it would be great. We need it in the schools. What would this? Anyway, he does the whole thing from beginning to end. And at the end, he's even better. He's even further along the seven-year-old because he's now done it more than a few times. Uh, I did have a seven-year-old that was perfect for the job. <laughs> she seemed interested at the very initial start and no, not interested as we progressed into what that might involve. No, no not the least bit interested. So having the ability to work with children, I mean, I don't have a lot of that opportunity, but when I do, I do things like that. Um, and um, it's just um, how to neutralize our patterns. So if you are, you just had a wonderful body work in a movement session and you are good, right? And your work requires you do this all day. That was a functional pattern now because you had gotten structural and functional change. You were looking more neutral, but now you're not. And then you cook and you do this and you do this and tomorrow you work again. We have to be able to learn how to neutralize our patterns. And I, this, this is a perfect setup. Thank you so much because I wanna invite you to join me for what I'm going to do fairly soon is a world movement. Just free advice for the world and as many people as I can get to join and put up additional ways, the better. So I will be in touch with you about that. It's Ooh, free. that's a nice little teaser. Can you just, what world movement? What like? It's gonna say Aston World Movement. All right. I look forward to that. Coming soon. So anyway, I just say that. You can cut that out. It's okay. We'll keep that in. Oh, yeah. great. Because the more people, uh, like right now, I'm training Pilates trainers uh, in Shanghai. And again, the world has just gotten so small. <laughs> and if we could just give these gifts out there, I'm just hoping it can just exponentially help people for free. Another question I had was, who inspired you? Who are your mentors? And who, who do you look up to as teachers? Besides your mom and the apple. And yeah, no, no, so what I was saying, Marty Walker, 
would be yeah. the number one. And then, of course, Dr. Rolf. But that's why I was saying, you know, I've had the opportunity to either um, visit a lecture or um, join a group where Moshe is talking. Well, Moshe and I became friends, a really wonderful experience with Moshe. Um, uh, in 1972, I, I went to his first class in Big Sur. So Dr. Rolf was doing the Rolfing training down at that end of the motel in Big Sur. Uh, I don't know, it was Big Sur Inn or whatever it was anyway. And we were down with Moshe at this end. And I just went for part of the training because I wanted to meet him. And he said, he used to use me to demonstrate all the movements down the floor and back up. <laughs> And so on and so forth. And I, he said, why are you here? And I said, because I wanted to meet you. I mean, look who you are. You're this physicist and you're this great teacher and Aikido and you developed the system. And that was cardboard falling. And um, I have been discovering these things and I would love to show you and maybe you could explain from the physics or or whatever, why it's working. <laughs> Would that be okay? <laughs> you know, I look back now, how audacious of me I, anyway, but I was just interested and genuine and he said, okay. So Moshe is over there in the corner of the same, he was staying at the same hotel and he's over in the corner smoking his cigarette, watching me work with this person. And he's getting closer and closer and closer and closer until he's sitting right by the table that I'm working on with his cigarette and I'm afraid his ashes are gonna go on the client. Anyway, and we finish and I come to standing, he comes to standing, we're doing this, the client leaves. Moshe, he's just been sitting there like this. He goes, did you figure this out yourself? And I, I was frightened, <laughs> I said, yes. He goes, very, very clever. And he got up and walked out. That was it. But he started sending me all these people, clients, and people in his classes. He'd refer them to me and people would come. So it was like, okay, I guess Moshe wanted me to keep doing what I'm discovering and so on and so forth. And it was, I saw him maybe three or four more times in San Francisco and then in, in London and so on. He would be, he was, Wonderful. Moshe was wonderful. So those are the main people that I can think of. And other than that, everybody inspires me. There's so much happening now in movement and somatics and this whole area. And I'm just sort of curious, are you following that? Are there things that you see that are like, ooh, that's great and inspire you? Or are you also sort of like, listen, I've been doing this for 50 odd years. I'm, I'm good. I got my thing. I don't spend a lot of time looking, not because I feel I have enough. I haven't gotten to so many things on my list. That's why. It isn't that I'm not interested. I'm, uh, if I'm on a panel and someone presents, I go, wow, that's fabulous. <laughs> that's fabulous. Uh, I've just been, uh, you know, and now we're training more people and so on. and. I just am busy. And then people tell me, well, a lot of what you've been doing for a while is now being documented. Did you know that? And I said, oh, great. That's good. 
those people that are into the sciences and research, they tell me things like that. And I go, oh, that's great. I'm so glad. Like asymmetry is important. The body has to be asymmetrical. Let's stop trying to make it symmetrical. So what's on your list is really just staying more involved in your work. If that sounds like I'm trying to stay away from, I'm not trying to stay away from other ideas. I just don't have time to research other ideas. But if I'm doing something where we're all involved in Emily's teaching or Bonnie's teaching, I'm right there involved. Now, I was just curious if there was something, just another, another avenue that you were problem solving on. Well, I always am. And, you know, the people that I train and they work with clients and then they ask to do a consult with me and I'm stay, I stay, you know, cause I do sessions online with people. And these days I have to say one of my biggest shocks that happens often is how people are doing surgeries, hip replacements, different things that put a math into the body that the, the patient can't get out of. So now many, uh, most of the hip replacements are all about increasing internal rotation instead of matching actually that joint is on a diagonal that opens. If you look how the <laughs> socket fits in there, yeah, to the neck and the necks now are all standardized. So for a person that lost height on their, their right leg, I said, oh, did they angle the neck of the femur for you to accommodate that? And they said, no, it's standardized. I said, oh, well, we have to change your gait then because, you know, it's horizontal for you. Anyway. It's actually really interesting. I never even thought about that because everyone's trochanter to acetabulum is a different angle I would never have even thought about when you're doing a hip surgery to, I would have thought they would have had variations and the fact that they don't is, it makes sense from a production standpoint. It makes well, sense. I mean, it almost seems like when people go through these, they should have a, a movement specialist. Some would say they have a PT and not to bash PTs, but a lot of times they focus just on that area as opposed to the whole functional. But well, I, many, I, times, many times it's what they're able to do. They are restricted by the protocols that are needed. Uh, and coming up with different protocols, as many of them can, they get in trouble or they could get in trouble. So, you know, if you're going to do any kind of surgery, you want to be in your best neutral position because even though the person is working on an isolation, the rest of the body math is going to control that result or be controlled by it. So it's got to be in relationship, I think. So Judith, I 100% agree with you. And it's one of those things in my practice when you get one, one client, for me, it's, it wasn't necessarily hip replacements, but I would have, I had one client that come in that had a knee replacement. And then coincidentally, a couple other member people would be coming in who also had knee replacements. And, or they were, you know, slated to maybe get one. And it was really fascinating to discuss with people what they were doing. Some people had great results, but they were so motivated with their recovery. 
they would go above and beyond what the PT suggested. And they really worked what it sound like in their own ways, sought out their, their post-op care, which was one scene role for me and particularly me because I was incorporating movement and figuring out how to find a new way to move with ease with this now artificial joint. And then the other people that weren't having great results, really, they were doing the bare minimum. They really weren't using, and I think you kind of echoed this before, and I'm totally in line with that, is you got to keep on moving to bring in these new patterns. You can't, it's not a one hit wonder with what you do with the PT that you kind of, you have to embody it and find a new way to be moving. And the one thing, and I thought this was interesting that you just mentioned that I, I was fortunate to have a particular client who was really, really trying to avoid a knee replacement and ultimately did, but we went into it, they went into it with really working out things that were changeable in their pattern. They, they went into the surgery of knowing how to walk with better ease, translating through, you know, their heel strike and getting that contralateral movement. And in the, in the way they kind of credited the recovery to the work that we did because they had already taken out the unnecessary noise, that that was already removed before they went into their surgery. And then they came out of the surgery already with these little movement nuggets that they could start incorporating. And before they really were able to come and see me again, they're like, yeah, that, that one thing that you told me of how I was moving. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, it's unfortunate that maybe there's some some people out there, uh, orthopedics or PTs, that really embrace this pre-op, post-op idea of, of figuring out how to move in a way that is with this new joint. And not just expecting a miracle of like, now you got a new joint, now your pain should be gone, which clearly, as we know, the body has to sort itself out around a, the, all the incisions that have happened to, to pull out the old, the art the natural joint, the joint that deteriorated. And then the tissue has to reorganize around the new, the new joint. If people want to learn from you, how do they do that besides Ashton World Movement Day? So our website, and we can just send all of that, our website, astinkinetics.com. Opposite astinkinetics.com is our email. And people could email and say, could you put me on a list of classes? So for example, um, I'm now teaching two of the foundation classes, seeing and the introductory movement classes online. Um, several of us are, will be teaching um, those classes online. I've now taught already 27 people in that format. And so, I mean, online, which is, I'm just glad five years ago, I had so many clients that couldn't come in for sessions because of injury, surgery, weather, because we live at 7,000 feet, snow, whatever. And I started working online. <laughs> so I'm so glad I got some training on that. 
So the first course, the 101, is about teaching people to see body patterns. And the second one is teaching people are just our very basic how to find neutral, how to uh, find it in sitting and standing, and how to do core toning. These three things uh, so that they can teach to their clients. So those are coming up, and they're two days. They're reasonable. We have um, an online course. Oh, I do. Sorry, I have to do this, I guess. This is the new book, Aston Posture Assessment. And I put a whole bunch of the theory in this book. The theory and the exercises for seeing are in this book. It really does break down how to see bodies and how my artistic interest kind of created the easy progression so people get it pretty easily, uh, easily, quickly. So I want to thank you for your interest. Uh, Andrew, you contacted me a long time ago about this, or you had the interest to do that, and then your follow-up, and I've been intrigued that we finally were able to get this time, and I, I just thank you both, Nikki and Andrew, for your interest and the promotion of putting out the three-dimensional body. That's been my focus for this life. The three-dimensional body and its significance, its importance to us individually and to the world. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us and share your wealth of knowledge. It just has been a pleasure. I'm so happy you made time for us. Great, thank you. Yeah, see, Nikki's a, a much nicer speaker, so I'll just ditto what she said. Okay. And hopefully we'll see you in a, a Zoom class or two. Thank you, Judith. Thank Have you. a great day. All right, thank you. Bye, Judith. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Judith at astinkinetics.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.